as you may know, we're in the middle of the first week of Advent, a time of preparation, and a time that we talked about on Sunday as a time of reflection. I think there's something about the darkness of winter, the early evenings, that makes you makes us tend toward be more reflective and think about what is happening in our lives, what has happened, and maybe what will happen. It's possibly my favorite season of the church year because it's so opposite the culture's narrative. I mean, Easter, we're sort of in sync with what's going on in the culture. The rest of the year, we're sort of in sync. This time, we are totally counter. While the world out there is screaming, Christmas, 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 we're about silence and reflection. And that makes me just love our tradition that much more. Thinking of silence and reflection, I was thinking about when I was a kid, I was a Boy Scout, and uh, on Wednesdays during the school year, we'd have Boy Scout meetings at the First Pres Church that was on the main, the main street. It was about an hour from my house, about a mile from my house, so I'd walk there and I'd walk back. And I'm from a small town in southern Indiana where it got pretty cold at night, and I used to be fascinated by seeing my breath and seeing the crystal clear look of the stars in this town because there was no light pollution and somehow the coldness just made it that much more real. You know what I'm talking about? That, that sense of you could almost touch them. And it was such a wonderful time for me, those walks back after the Boy Scout and looking up because it, it assured me in my 10-year-old brain that God was there. I felt very much like this has to be the work of something greater than me. Now, my town, as I mentioned, is about 5,000 people, which is a little bigger than the hungry crowd that we hear today. And in fact, if you include the women and children, which is always interesting that they don't, I'm sure it's a bigger gathering. And I think, I wonder if they were looking up and seeing those same stars and feeling that proximity, that closeness with God that one feels when you're out there. Now, we're told in the Gospel that... um, Jesus is concerned, he has compassion for the crowd because they've been out there for three days listening to his stories, listening to following him, being disciples, and he's worried that they're not going to be able to make it home. I wonder if they ever felt closer to God because they could look up at these stars and then they could look forward and see Jesus literally surrounded by the divinity, the divine wisdom and wonder. Now, this part of Matthew is focused on Jesus' authority as God's agent. Now, he's doing miracles. There's this feeding of the 4,000, also known as the loaves and fishes. The feeding of the million, or thousands is such an important story, it's repeated twice. We have the 4,000 and we have the 5,000. And also, if you think about it, there's a meal around the anointing of Jesus' feet. There's obviously the Last Supper. Meals are very important. And it signals forth to us the Eucharist. Now, what's interesting in this story is uh, it's not just the bread and wine that we're familiar with. It's actually bread and fish. And uh, you might be interested to know that very nearly that became the tradition of serving fish and, and bread as part of our Eucharistic path. And in fact, you may know that some of the symbology around the early church involved and still involves fishes, the outline of the fish. So I think it'd be so much more interesting. I think it'd make our altar guild's life that much more interesting. It would make the priest's life a lot more 
well, let's say interesting, more complicated, but also I'd make it a lot more delicious. I sort of see myself as a holy short order cook. Uh, and maybe that we would be eating fish sandwiches by this point. So, and all this talk about food is making me hungry. The disciples doubt Jesus' ability to deliver. I mean, they ask him, they say, where are we to get enough bread in the desert to feed so great a crowd? And we know the result. There was plenty to go around. Seven baskets left over. Plenty. Now, I read a translation today that I really liked. In place of desert, it said, lonely place. Sort of, where are we to get enough bread in the lonely place to feed so great a crowd? That really connected back to me. Because Advent, now this time of darkness, this time pre-Christmas, even Christmas itself, can be a lonely time for many people. When we celebrate in a couple of weeks, we'll have a blue Christmas where we affirm people's challenges with this time of the year. And I do, I wonder if, much like the disciples, do we trust that Jesus will show up in those lonely places? The disciples didn't, and the result was seven baskets left over, 4,000 and more fed. How often do we not trust that Jesus is going to show up when we're in our own deserts? And I think this gospel is a reminder that Jesus is showing up all around us, whether we notice or not. Jesus is the constant. We're the ones that aren't. And this Advent time of preparation, practicing, of training, I think we're training ourselves to see Jesus showing up. He shows up tonight in the gospel reading. Jesus shows up in our sharing of the peace, which is we remember as the body of Christ. And of course, more than anything, he shows up in the Eucharist as the body and blood. So tonight as we take the bread and wine, I ask you to pray to see Jesus showing up all around, even in the lonely places, especially in the lonely places. In those deserts of doubt, just trust. Maybe then we'll be able to see. Maybe the result will be seven baskets left over or more. So full will we be of Jesus' love and grace. Amen.